It's really, really good to see you. Thanks. I appreciate that. Am I? I'm on, right? Okay, good. I um. Last week, I was a mess. If you were here last week, I was I was really still struggling. What's that? I shouldn't have been here. As we said, yeah, I sh- you're probably right. I couldn't stay away, um, but I probably should have. Um, and I'm, but I'm, but I'm feeling significantly better. So thanks for praying. I really appreciate it. As a matter of fact, we um, they 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 sent away like forty some tests because the the doctor was just really baffled because he saw how bad my blood was, and he says something's going on. And they sent away all these tests, and all the tests came back negative. And I'm feeling a lot better. And uh, I mean, I th- I just think God just hooked me up from everybody praying. So yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. I, you know, I think, whoa, <laughs> done, enough said, <laughs> enough said. Um, you'll notice that we don't have the pulpit here today. Uh, there's a, there's an analogy in that, a sermon analogy in that we'll get to, but just to, uh, uh, we'll, we'll develop that a little bit coming forward. Um, this series that we're starting today uh, is called Christ Culture and Communion. And this is a series that uh, was, for me, was kind of birthed out of a process during sabbatical that I'm going to share with you a little bit about how this thing developed today. And I've been really excited about this sermon series. This has been really core for me about what the Lord's been teaching me in the gospel lately. You know, I I think all of us, the journey of following Christ is the journey of growing deeper and deeper in our understanding of the gospel and how it affects our life. Um, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so all of us are continually needing to be transformed deeper and deeper and more fully by the gospel. And so the journey of Christ is the journey of understanding the gospel more fully. Um, Over the last nine months, the way the Lord has been helping me to understand the gospel more fully has kind of been the foundation of what this series is about. And I've really been been looking forward to to sharing it with you. Um, So uh, what I was hoping to do today was to do an introduction to the series and then to start the first installment of the series. And I was going to do like kind of a, a somewhat brief introduction and then do a compressed version of the first installment. You guys know I'm long-winded and you know what happens when I try to do two things at once. So I decided to cut that. And instead, what we're doing today is just the introduction to the series. We're just going to set up the series, uh, trying to keep it uh, a little more manageable today. Okay, so um, that's what we're going to be doing. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we just thank you for uh, when we um, listened how uh, in the words of the song today about how baffling it is that you sent your son, that we can scarce take it in what it is that you have done in giving your son. And I love the confidence that you had in your son to send him on a mission. And, and when your son, even at the garden, was shaking and sweating blood, you sat there in heaven saying, you got this. You've got this. I know you. I love you. You've got this. And you, you entrusted your character and your love into your son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus by a pure act of love and, and will to choose us and to choose your Father, you submitted fully unto death. And we want to know and understand and explore more fully what that love is, what it means to us, and how it changes us. So help us to understand your gospel today. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Um, I have this great family doctor. Uh, he's really, really good. And the first time that I went to see him, um, I went and did a checkup with him. And he looked at me for a little bit. And then he asked me, he said, um, are you active? Do you play sports? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you get headaches after you play sports? And I said, yes, I do. That was really weird. How did you know that? And he said, I can tell your, your shoulders aren't quite even. You're a little crooked there. And, uh, and he said, you must have had an injury to your left shoulder at some point in your life. And I was like, I did. I dislocated my shoulder pretty badly in a surfing accident on Hurricane Floyd. And he said, that was stupid. And then he said, well, now you're paying the price for it because you have headaches all the time. And I'm like, that's so weird because I always thought I had headaches from being dehydrated uh, or, you know, and I'd try to manage that with just popping some ibuprofen. And he said, the ibuprofen doesn't touch it, does it? And I said, no. And he said, yeah, your muscles get all jacked up because your structure is wrong and it, and it messes with you and that's what's going on. I look at this doctor and I'm like, man, that was pretty amazing that you were able to figure all that out from kind of the, the, the shape of my shoulders or whatever. And, uh, and so I said, okay, what, what can I do about that? And he said, nothing. <laughs> I said, great. And he said, actually, what, what you can do is if you ever have a major so- shoulder injury again, which you probably will because your, uh, your uh, shoulder didn't heal right, and you're still very active, when you do, you can get your shoulder fixed right this time, and it'll set things right. Well, he was right. And when I first showed up here like eight years ago, I don't know if any of you remember, I blew out my shoulder again. And for a while, I was preaching in this thing like this. I'm walking around. <laughs> um, and, uh, and they fixed my shoulder. And since then, the headaches are gone, and I don't have problems anymore when I play. Y- you know, sometimes there are issues that are deeper than the ones that we can manage. And they affect us, and we're trying to manage issues in our lives that are kind of up on the surface level, but there's deeper things that need to be dealt with, you know? And that's, you see this, every now and then you hear about some health guru, or you hear about some professional athlete who eats right, who exercises all the time, and yet they die of heart disease or something, you know? And you're like, there's... We can manage our health to a degree with multivitamins and exercise and eating healthy, but there's some things, if you have cancer or if you have heart disease, you need some help outside yourself. It's not just your daily decisions that affect your health. There's things bigger than you can handle. I think this is even more true when it comes to relationships. There's times in relationships where we try to manage day in and day out our relationships. And we work hard to try to love each other and and, and forgive each other and, and work things out. But sometimes there's a level of dysfunction in our relationship that's deeper than what we can handle day in and day out just by our sheer will. This happens all the time in families where you watch, you know, there's certain things that families just learn. That's kind of the way it is. And you learn workarounds. And you kind of, you form contracts around like, okay, this is a thing that this person doesn't want to deal with, so we're just not going to deal with it, and we learn to just let that go. You know, and the family, the kids growing up learn that. That's an issue you don't deal with. And everybody kind of has this unspoken system. That happens in churches, by the way, too. Any form, companies, it happens in companies. It happens in any group of people where we form these contracts, unspoken contracts about what we're not going to deal with you know, and that everyone kind of works around. And if you're raised within that, that's just life. And it kind of changes who you are, but you don't realize that it changes. You don't realize you got a shoulder that's up like this. You just think you have headaches. And so you're trying to manage the headaches, but you don't realize that underneath there's a deeper issue. 
And then something happens, and we deal with this in premarital counseling all the time. Something happens, someone marries into the family. Or two spou- like a spouse dies, and then someone else is married. Or there's a divorce, and then a remarriage, and two families merge. And all of a sudden, the, the, the issues are complicated. Because the people who were raised in that family, who understood the culture, and understood how it worked, and what the contract was, someone else is stepping into it, and looking at it, and saying, I didn't sign up for that contract. And I don't care if she doesn't want to deal with issues. This is an issue I want to deal with. Or I don't care if he is used to being a bully and everyone's okay with that. I'm not okay with that. And they step in and the in-law, the person who's married into the situation or, or in the merger, they look at that and they're like, this is not okay. And the spouse, of course, is like, shh, you're not allowed to talk about that. Don't deal with that. You know, there's a contract. You know, this is the thing. We talk about contracts and covenants in, in the community of Christ because in the Bible, the only kind of godly relationship is a covenantal relationship. And what a covenant is, is that you are fully you and I am fully me. And we agree to work that out in the bounds of a promise. And the promise is that I don't have to change the core of who I am, and you don't have to change the core of who you are, but we are together all the way through this thing. A contract is very different. A contract says, I'll do this for you, and you'll do this for me. And you have to limit who you are to be what I need you to be, and, and, you have to limit, and I have to limit who I am to be who you need me to be, and that's a contract. What happens in contracts, if you look at the gamut of relationships, a relationship could be a plus 10, very best, or a negative 10, very worst. If you have a contractual relationship, that can, might be able to go up to like a plus 3 and might be as bad as going down to a minus 3, because if it gets below a minus 3, contract over. If it gets, it will never get above a plus three because you can't fully be you in the contract. You have to limit who you are. See, what happens in a covenant is when we say, we're going to go all the way with this thing. We're looking for plus 10. That's what we're looking for. But that means that we have to deal with minus 10 as well. And we have to be honest about minus 10 because you can't have plus 10 if you're not willing to address minus 10. And all of us have minus 10 in us because all of us are broken sinners. So this is where we get to the meat of it. This is where we deal with what this series is about. See, culture is like family. Culture is like the deeper kind of health. Culture is like the shoulder that's like this. There's stuff that happens to us that we're completely unaware of because we live in the culture where we've just been raised in it. And we're not even aware of how messed up it actually is. I mean, any of us are cultural critics. There isn't one of us who can't look at what's going on in politics, who can't look at what's going on in economics or in media, and all of us are experts about what's wrong with everything. You know, what none of us are experts are is understanding where we are wrong in participating in the process and how much it's actually affecting us. None of us are easily aware of that, and that's part of being human. That's part of being broken. Culture is something that isn't evil. Culture is something that reveals who we are. We make culture. That's what we do as people. Over time, groups of people, families, governments, all the gatherings of people, we create and make culture. We're the ones who design culture by the way we live. Some of that ends up being really nasty. Some of it ends up being really good. But culture reveals who we are over the long period. But when a child is born into a culture, they are born into something that they didn't create. 
and they start to learn the rules the way a, a, a child learns to dwell in a family. And if there's stuff going on in that family, it just is what it is. It's life. That's the way culture is for us. So now, this is what we need to do when it comes to understanding our culture and understanding how Christ fits into it. We need to define a few terms. First of all, we need to define what sin is. Because sin, we don't, we don't, we don't need this word communion, the last word that we're going to get to. We only need communion because we have sin. Right? Culture, there's sin among us, around us, all through us. And because of that, we need communion, okay? And, and, and we need Christ. But we need to define what sin is. So first of all, sin is the most broad, general category of things not being right, okay? It's when, and what it basically means at its core, what, what, what sin means is to fall short. And it means to separate ourselves from God. So all of us were created. What is our purpose? We exist to, everybody look this way. This is one that I want us to have memorized. It's not real hard. We exist to reveal God's nature and to delight in his presence. You who are sitting in that corner, you look great today. Everybody's seeing you now. We exist to reveal God's nature and to delight in his presence. If at any point I am not fully delighting in God's presence, if at any point I am not revealing my part of God's nature, then I am sinning. Guess what? We are all sinning right now. We are all sinning right now because there is not one of us who is fully walking out our purpose. So anytime we fall short of the glory of God, and the glory of God is a pretty high standard, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Any one of us who falls short of that is currently actively in a posture and in a state of sin to one degree or another. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We exist to delight in his presence, to know God, to be in deep fellowship with him, to enjoy him, and to reveal him. And to the extent that I am not doing that, I am living in a state of sin. So each and every one of us in this room, we can authoritatively say, we are sinners. Gospel doesn't leave us there. Communion doesn't leave us there. We'll get to that. But we can't get to that without first acknowledging and confessing the fact that not only have I sinned, but I am in a state of sin because I am not still right now fully revealing the nature of God and fully delighting in his presence. I may not be experiencing the penalty of all of that sin. God might not be condemning me anymore for that sin. But I am not fully glorified, so therefore I am massively still affected by sin. That's sin, okay? Transgression, there's other words that are important to define. Transgression is where we break the law of God. God has a law. God's the designer. God, there's natural law. And then there's the moral law. There's all the laws that God designed. So since he's the creator and the designer, any time that I step out of him being the designer of my life, and what that means, if I'm not submitting to his design for my life, 
the way he said life is supposed to live, if I'm not taking all my cues from him, if he's not the one who's directing my life, that means that I'm transgressing. I'm stepping outside of the law of the lawmaker, that I'm stepping out of the design of the designer, that I'm acting not like I'm the created one, but I'm acting like I'm self-created. Okay, and that I'm my own boss. Anytime I step outside of that design on any level, if he's not the one I'm looking to for my day in, day out decisions, then I'm transgressing. So sin is the general anytime I'm outside of his purpose for my life and his presence. Secondly, transgression, specifically when it comes to his design and his law, if I violate that, if he says, don't do this and I do it, transgression. Okay, now, here's the other thing. This is an important word for our study. This is the most important one that I want us to understand today. And this is the word iniquity. Okay? Iniquity means something different. It is also sin, but it's a a result of sin, and it's a different level of sin. Iniquity is the, the word for iniquity means to twist or to distort. And what that means is, is that there's a sin that's become so a part of culture that it's changed the way we think. Okay, so we, you've heard me talk uh, before about uh, how uh, things like how we view time. We have a major iniquity in our culture around time. Because God's design, what is God's value? How are we supposed to use time? What is the highest moral value for how God views time? Anybody know? Fruit of the Spirit, fourth fruit of the Spirit, tells us how God views time. Patience. That's how God's value for time is patience. For most of our society, when it comes to how we deal with time morally, our highest value is not patience. We do not believe that patience is the benchmark for how we should use time. For most of society, what we believe is the highest value according to how we use time is efficiency. That we shouldn't waste time, we should be good stewards of time. Does God believe we should be good stewards of time? Absolutely. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. Of course we're supposed to be efficient with time. However, the reason in our society, this is how this works. Let me show you how sin becomes iniquity. One day there was a guy who was trying to get to work, okay? And traffic was really bad that day. And he knew that there were deadlines that had to get done. And people were struggling on the road. But he decided that it was more important that he get to work than he respect other people on the road. So there's this moment where he whips out in front of someone, cuts someone off, and drives to work because there's stuff that he has to get done. That day, that guy was impatient. But because he got to work on time and a little bit earlier, he got more done than the other person got done. And when he got that done, he got it done out of sin, but he got more done. Now, what happened is, is the initial sin was impatience. He didn't trust God with his time. But what ended up happening was, is the people who sat next to him at work started to see him getting more done. And something developed inside of them. They sinned. And they allowed that thing to be frustrating to them. And so they became jealous. So now you have a sin of impatience and you have a sin of jealousy. But what ends up happening is, is that culture of sin and jealousy where people started saying, well, I need to get ahead, so I'm going to be impatient, and I'm going to cut in line. Then something else happened. Then people started looking at them and being jealous. So impatience and jealousy started building and building until there was a culture in which the, what people were aspiring to 
was not aspiring to reveal the character of God by being patient. They were aspiring to be productive at work and therefore look good with the people around them. And maybe there was greed in there that wanted to get the promotion to get more. You know, there's these different sins that happen, but what ends up happening is with greed and impatience and jealousy and all of those different sins that are practiced consistently over a period of time, something starts to twist in people's minds. And this is what happens. Now, when the person is on the highway and they're driving to work, they feel guilty about the fact that they're not going to get as much done. And it's not just that they want to get ahead. It's the fact that morality in their mind has changed. And they actually are saying, if I don't cut in line and get there on time and get more done, then there's something wrong with me. And so now I'm justified in my impatience because it's more important that I be moral by making sure that I'm getting more done. And we've lost the fact that sometimes it's okay to not get something done in order to wait for another person because our mind is twisted and that is called iniquity. When we are raised in a culture of sin, we are unaware by and large of the iniquity that affects us. That's called cultural iniquity. And we can only get to plus three in our relationship with God and our relationship with each other because there's a level of systemic brokenness in our society that doesn't let us get past that because we're viewing the world wrong. And unless we are people who are humble enough to admit that we have systemic brokenness, then we will never look deep enough to see that the problems are in me because I've been a part of this culture and I have this thing in me that's about when sin owns me. And what that is, there's two words there that are important about how sin owns me. One, two other terms we're going to define if you're taking notes. One is depravity. Okay, and what depravity means, anybody know what depravity means? It means that I am helplessly affected by sin the day that I am born. It's like I, it's like I am born with a virus that is genetic, okay? So I remember kids in Chicago who I just saw their heart and they were great kids, but they had a major problem because when their parents had them in the womb, they were addicted to some substance that majorly messed with this kid. And so this kid has genetic issues because the drugs affected them in the womb. When we are born into this world, we are born into something called sin. It's a virus that affects the way we see the world. It affects the way we hear things. It affects the way we see one another. It affects how we view God because we are selfish at our core when we are born with depravity because something has come in and twisted the very core of our spiritual DNA. And it's changed it. That's called depravity. That's why David says in the Psalms, he says, surely at the day of my birth, I was sinful at the day of my birth, even in my mother's womb. And that's because he knows that, that, that sin is something that's passed on. And for any of us to think that we are like basically pure, but we have a few things that we're struggling with, is for me to play basketball and think that my problem is dehydration. It's for me to manage with multivitamins and healthy diet and exercise when I have terminal cancer in my life or some sort of deep cancer in my life. 
It's not to be aware of the depths of the problem that I have. And culture, we can see all around the way the world works, the way the world thinks is filled with the sin of humanity practiced over and over again, and it's changed the way that we see life. And what's very important for us as Christians is to understand that we are massively affected by that culture and that the only way for us to be changed is not for us to be able to be strong enough to manage day in and day out our stuff. That won't work. That's just popping medication to get rid of the headache. We need something deeper. We need something more transformative. We need something that can heal the cancer, that can change the heart disease, that can fix the shoulder. We need a great physician. We need a healer, one who can see deeper. We need change that comes from the outside that changes the whole system. And in order to do that, we have to open up ourselves to God and we have to say, come and show us where we are seeing the world wrong. Expose it to us, not because we have the power to fix it, even if you show it to us, but because when you do show it to us, we can give it to you and you can heal us, and you can change us. And that's why we say, my people who, that's why he says, my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves and if they pray, and if they seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will come to them, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. It starts with humbling ourselves and opening ourselves up to God and saying, I don't even know where to start. For me to think that if I just read my Bible a little more, or if I try harder to be nice to my neighbor that this is going to work better, that's me. I don't need me to fix things. I need him to fix things. Because I want plus 10 life in Jesus, so we got to deal with minus 10 sin in my life. Which has to do with iniquity in our culture and how it affects me. And unless I'm willing to do the work of allowing God to probe me, then I will not see him heal me on the deepest levels. And I will not see him heal my family and my marriage and my church and my workplace and my neighborhood. I'll only see it be plus three or negative three. It'll be contractual. So, what time is it? I need a drink. Sorry. Our natural inclination is not to dig to find out what's wrong with us. That's not what we do. I, this one time I, I was doing something I shouldn't have been doing as a, as a child. I won't get into the de- details of that. I fell in the process. I was running and sort of, and I fell and I cut my hand really badly. This is a great Mother's Day uh, story. I, I cut my hand. It was, it was really bad. I did not want my mom to know what was going on and how I hurt myself. So I wore long sleeves and I pulled them down over my hand, okay, for about a week and a half. It was a bad cut and it got horribly infected. And I couldn't touch anything. I could, And one day, my mom noticed, she saw I was turning a certain way and she saw something and she was like, oh, what is that, you know, and she looks at it, and it was nasty, I mean, it was gross at this point, there was, you can, I'll let you use your imagination, I won't go into it, you still got to eat today on Mother's Day, but it was gross, 
And she was like, what happened? And I'm like, I cut myself. (laughs) I did not want to confess what was going on and this wound that I had. And because of that, over time, of course, you know what happens when we don't confess. I think the analogy becomes self-evident here. Grows infected. When I cut someone off on the road, I can be like, I'm sorry, God. That was me not trusting you with time. Or I can be like, and muscle through and not deal with it. And eventually, it leads to iniquity. Actually, it also personally leads to another term. I said there was two terms we needed to deal with um, to understand how sin snowballs. One was depravity. The other is a thing called strongholds, okay? And this is what strongholds are. Strongholds are, they start with usually with idols. And idols are things that are set up in the place of God somewhere in my life. And I depend on them for something that I should be depending on for God. If I go to delight in God's presence, but instead I delight in this other thing, that's the idol. And uh, what an idol always does at the beginning, an idol promises us basically everything we ever wanted, and it costs us absolutely nothing. And in the end, what an idol does is it demands absolutely everything from us, and it gives us nothing. That's what happens with idolatry every time. What's more is, is that idolatry doesn't affect just our lives. Mostly what the idol is seeking to do is to destroy our children's lives. That's the historic picture across the scriptures. What you watch that idolatry does to a culture is it always hurts the second generation worse than the first generation. When, an, when there's an idol given to us, proposed to us, we have a choice, and that's a moment of sin. I know God says this, but this looks good. So I'm going to choose to do this. Now, you know how this works. Is once we do that thing, there's a question. We can confess that sin, and we can get it dealt with through the Lord, and then we can overcome that sin if we are broken. The easier thing is to be like, okay, I won't do that again. You know, instead of confessing it and ask God to heal me and forgive me, I just say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And next time, I'm not going to do it. The next time comes, my conscience has gone down. I don't, I'm not, I'm not as strong against it. And I start to do it again. After a while, it becomes a habit. We all know what happens. This begins to change what we believe about the gospel. And this is what it changes. It, it changes how powerful we think God is. Because eventually, what happens is, this thing that I was gripping onto now has a grip on me. And I can feel that grip. And what happens is, is I get to a place where no matter how much I want to break that grip, I can't break it. Because it's not just me gripping it anymore. It's the fact that I've given it a place in my life where it grips me. And so sometimes we get to a place with sin where the choice isn't a daily choice anymore. Where it's not like, Okay, I've looked at these images that are inappropriate for so long, or I've felt this level of resentment for so long, or I've talked inappropriately about this person so much, or I've spent my money inappropriately this way so often that now I don't even think about it. It happens before I think about it. I'm not making a cognitive choice. In other words, I'm not choosing it. It is choosing me. That's a stronghold. Now, Cultural iniquities, spiritual strongholds, 
trespasses, all of these things, the, the depravity in me are all things that we summarize as sin. If I think that what sin is, is when I choose to do the right thing and choose to do the wrong thing, and it's that simple, then I'm not understanding how powerful the gospel is or how deep my problem is. And we're like the family, we're like the family that doesn't understand the level of, of struggle inside the family, okay? Now I want to tell you how this st- series started for me, and, and we'll close it up there. When I went on sabbatical, uh, two weeks before sabbatical, um, Josh Bitework and I went over to Proximity Cafe in Pottstown. Um, and when we went over there, there was a local pastor who showed up. Um, he just happened to be there at the same time we were, just happened. And he came walking over and he said, hey, what's going on with you guys? He had no idea that Josh and Shelby were moving, so we told him that. He had no idea I was going on sabbatical. I told him that. And he was like, whoa. And then he was getting ready to leave and he stopped and he turned around and he said something very curious to me. He said, Tim, when you go on sabbatical, don't be surprised if you get really angry. I looked at him and I looked at Josh and I was like, okay. Honestly, inside my mind, what I thought was, Dude, that sounds like your problems. Like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. But fine, I'll, I'll file that away. A couple weeks later, I go on sabbatical. The plan for sabbatical was that in the first month of sabbatical, I was supposed to completely, like, just, like, decompress. Get into a place of, like, chilling with the Lord, letting the stress go, and just, like, be focused on Him. There was a problem. There's this weird thing that happened every time I went to just like go be alone or go for a run or do something just relaxing. Something kept happening. It was the weirdest thing. There was always some crisis or some people who would stop by or something that would happen. And it was like I could not get to a place where I could just get in the Bible or where I could get with the Lord or where I could get alone or get quiet. It just wasn't working. And Jen was like, what is this? This is weird. It's not happening. It's not working, you know? And I was started to get really frustrated, really frustrated. And I didn't know, like, I couldn't figure it out. But one of the things, I had a coach during sabbatical, and I was supposed to be writing down basically what I was learning from the Lord, what was going on in my day. And then he was, like, once a month supposed to meet with me and process and help me see if there's things the Lord was teaching or whatever. So I'm writing down. By the, by the time the end of the first month came, honestly, I was dealing with some anger, some deep, level anger stuff that I, and I didn't know where it was coming from, but I was really frustrated. And it was like, I just can't get where, this thing isn't working the way it's supposed to work. What's happening? So I go see my coach and he had read through the, the journal entries that I had given and he said, hey, I want to, um, I want to propose something to you. Um, it, it, clearly, this isn't working out the way that we had designed it. And he's like, that must be really frustrating for you. But your frustration, I, he said, I think that maybe the Lord's actually trying to reveal something through this. Um, you had a plan for how this was supposed to work. You had objectives as far as what you were supposed to do, and it's not working out. Has there been a lot of times in ministry and in life for you where you had a plan and you had objectives and it didn't work out the way you thought God had laid it out? And I just look over at Jen, and Jen looked over at me, and she cracked a smile, and I started to tear up. And I was like, maybe. <laughs> Why do you ask? 
And he said, because I think God wants to deal with you about how to deal with blocked objectives in your life. You know, um, he said, there are things that don't go the way they're supposed to go. Even when God tells us how they're supposed to go. Things don't always go that way because there are deep systemic problems and we live in a world of brokenness. I think God wants to deal with you during your sabbatical about what to do when that brokenness affects your life. What I want you to do is, is I want you to take time to go and deal with God and just share with him all the blocked objectives, the things that you felt like he called you to or called a couple you were counseling to or called a church you were leading to or called your family to and it never worked for reasons beyond your control and bring them to the Lord and see what he has to say about those things. In the meantime, Jen and I were going and visiting different churches and we were visiting all kinds of churches. Um, we just wanted to get an exposure of what was out there in the kingdom of God and learn. You know, it's big churches, little churches, country churches, urban churches, churches with amazing children's ministries, churches with no children at all, liturgical churches, traditional churches, contemporary churches. We were checking out every kind of church that we could think of that had nothing to do with Netzer. You know, any church that didn't have to do with Netzer, I was trying to stay away from that. But beyond that, we were checking out all sorts of churches. And there's this weird thing that started to happen for me. And this is just about me. I don't know if there's any application that's really beyond it other than what, what my experience was. Anytime that I went to a church where there was a guy who was preaching the word of God, someone who was preaching the word of God, like hitting it, like understood the word of God, exposing it with power. And, and that was kind of the core of the, of the service. And there was maybe great worship and great message. I found myself really stressed out. Weird, huh? And this is why I, I don't know why. I mean, that's my job. So maybe I was like, oh man, that's just hard. <laughs> the guy's like been working real hard all week to get there and he's trying. But what it felt like to me was that this service was designed to work very hard to try to convince people to take the next step in their spiritual life. And it just felt like so much effort being put in to trying to help people move forward. And I think I felt that level of stress of like, Man, that's a lot of effort. But then this weird thing would happen where I'd go to another church where the center of the service was not about uh, the person preaching or about the experience that was had in the music, but the center of the service was communion. And I found, and again, this is personal, where I was at the time, I found that every time I went to one of these services where communion was the center of the, of the that where everything culminated with communion, I found myself at peace and at rest, and I didn't know why. And I was like, this is weird. Um, that's its own point. So I, I go back to this process that the, that the pastor, or that the, not the pastor, my coach called me to. And I'm processing what's going on. And, my, and the blocked objections, I'm going back, thinking through all the different things that the different churches I've been at, where I knew the Lord called this, I knew he said it, I, knew, I was clear with the Lord, he had given clarity, we, we sensed confirmation on it, and yet we couldn't see it happen. Or over here where there was this couple where God just gave crystal clear clarity around what was going on in their marriage, and he opened it up and made it very clear, and then they never stepped forward into the healing that God had for them, and I ended up having to do this over and over again, and just the maddening. And I didn't realize that there was inside of me frustration and struggle about that stuff. I didn't realize it. I was just, every time I'm like, let's knuckle down, let's go again. Like, that's a pain, but let's go. 
you know? And so I started processing this stuff and I started getting really frustrated as I was processing and it wasn't helping. I was like, thanks coach, you know, because what I found was the more I, I kind of looked at this stuff and journaled about it or prayed about it, I was just getting frustrated. Like, yeah, why isn't this stuff working? One day I was so frustrated. I don't know how you guys express your frustration. You know, if you get, if you get over the top, like upset about something where it's too much boil, th- that's where people get funny, you know? Um, honestly, it's where we get weird, where we like start doing stuff that's goofy. That's where someone scrubs the pot really hard, you know, or they get on the floor and they're scrubbing the floor really hard, or we just get really silent with one another and we won't talk about it. Or, you know, we grab a pillow and yell into it or whatever it is, you know, all of us have breaking points and we do stuff at times where we're just like, we don't know how to handle it. We might just break down and be weeping or whatever. I'm physical. You guys know this. I like to work out and all that. When I get really, when I struggle, I like to hit the weights, you know, and I like to, to throw some weight and, and I, j- just to release stuff. And, and downstairs in, in my basement, I have a punching bag down there. We do cardio work on, you know, uh, those who work out with me, do a little kickboxing or whatever just to get the cardio up. But that day, that punching bag was the place where I needed to let go of my anger. I needed to let go of my anger. And so I, I, started, to, I started to let loose on this punching bag. And I didn't know why. I wasn't mad at anyone or anything. I was just like, I don't know what to do with the fact that there are things that, that I know we were supposed to do, that I know life was supposed to look like. This is what the picture of the church is. Why is it not working? This is the picture of what family is. Why is it not working? This is the picture of what healing and transformation looks like in people's lives. Why do we not always see it happen, you know? And so I'm going to town on this, on this bag. Eventually, the Lord asks me, who are you hitting right now? And, uh, and I was like, I'm hitting a punching bag, you know? But the Lord's speaking this. I, I, this thought just comes right in my mind. I'm hitting a punch bag. And he's like, no, who are you hitting? Use your imagination. Who are you hitting right now? And I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm unleashing on this bag, and I'm like, I'm expecting, I know we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So I know, like, he's not asking me about a person or a group of people. I don't know who I'm about to envision when I look up at this bag. Maybe Satan, you know? I look up and I see the face of Jesus on this bag. I'm out. I'm not hitting the bag anymore. God, in my mind, you got to hit this bag. Unless you hit this bag, you have no part with me. And I'm like, what? So I'm back to the bag. And I'm like, tap, tap. <laughs> and this is what I sense the Lord saying to me in that moment. Tim, stop lying to me. Hit the bag. Lying to you? What do you mean? You were being very honest with me a minute ago about what you were feeling. That's some, that's some stuff there where you're dealing with darkness, where you're dealing with the struggle. Hit the bag. So I start hitting the bag and I start feeling it again, you know, and I'm like, oh, man. And it wells up within me and I'm just horrified because I'm picturing in my mind um, a a Roman soldier beating Jesus. And I'm like, oh, you know. Um, This is where it goes. Eventually he says, do you know what you're doing right now? Do you know what you're doing? And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) What am I doing? And this is what I sense the Lord say to me. 
You're taking communion right now, Tim. This is my body broken for you. And uh, I'm just like, I don't even know what that means, but I know the Lord is speaking to me right now. And so I stopped thinking, I, I, I start thinking, and I'm, I'm just praying in this moment. And I said, what, like, what are you trying? And he says, this is what I sense the Lord starting to, to communicate to me. As he says, look, the things that you're angry about are worth being angry about. All of us have to deal with stuff that doesn't work out right because there's cultural iniquity, there's strongholds, there's sin, there's trespasses, all of sin and falling short of the glory of the God. Like, you guys are a mess. The world's a mess. It doesn't work out right. That's supposed to make you upset. Do you remember when I went into the temple and I flipped things and I threw things away? It's supposed to make you upset. Quit trying to act like it doesn't make you upset. You can't get anywhere by just acting like it's not there. We're supposed to be angry about sin, Tim. Be angry, but do not sin in your anger. So what do you do with that? Come to me, speak the truth. Come to me about what the struggle is. And he said, and let the anger be, let me take the anger. Let me take the place of where these things have gone wrong. You need to deal with this, but that's what I'm here for. This is why I died on the cross. I didn't die a brutal death because we needed someone to pay some money to get you off the hook. I died a brutal death because you know in your heart of hearts how evil stuff is, and you know that it has to be dealt with. And there is a reason why you're angry, because injustice requires anger. You have to deal with that. Let me deal with it. I have dealt with it. This is dealing with the, the minus 10 stuff, you know? It's dealing with the iniquity, the brokenness. And then he said this, and this is awesome. He said, Tim, as much as you are hitting a bag because you have bumped up against sin and iniquity and strongholds, there are people who have to hit a bag because you have sin and strongholds and iniquity and people need my body broken for them because of you, as much as you need the body broken because of what it is that you experience. This is me, the only one who can handle it. This is why for 2,000 years, the central part of a worship service was that every person who came to church would walk up to a table called an altar table and would see that there was a body broken and there was blood shed. Because the power to deal with our stuff is not in managing it by trying to work hard at our relationships. It's not enough to, to just try to read my Bible. All of those things are very important. The scriptures call us to it. But it's not the core. The core of the gospel is this. I am a sinner way beyond what I can deal with. That I participate in iniquity in the culture in ways that I don't even understand. And that the journey toward freedom is not first a journey of an effort to follow God and be like God. The first part of the journey in following God is to confess my complete inability to do it and to ask him to expose the places where I need the transformative work of the gospel. At the table of Jesus, there is not an echelon of who's better and who's worse. There is no favorites at the table. At the table of Jesus, Peter sits there about to deny him. At the table of Jesus, Thomas doubts him. At the table of Jesus, we all come to
to a place where we can receive the power of the gospel, not just to fix my day-in and day-out struggles with sin, but the deep systemic issues that affect us as a community. But what we need to do, the place we start, is we come to this table and we say, Christ, in this culture, the problems are far bigger than I can handle, but they're not bigger than what you can handle. Show us our sin that we may repent before you, that we can bring ourselves to your table so that you can change us and make us like you. And that is the power of the gospel. So what we're going to do in this series is that um, we're going to take each week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a different cultural iniquity. And we're not doing this because we're not supposed to be people who, who walk with our tail between our legs and who hang our heads and are always self-loathing and, and trying to be more broken. That's false humility. True humility says, I am redeemed and set free by God, and he doesn't condemn me, so I'm not living under the thumb of my sin. There is no condemnation. This sin is still affecting me, and I need the healing to go deeper, and I need the gospel to go and work its way out in my life, but I'm not sitting here hating myself. God doesn't hate me. I'm submitting to the reality that God loves me, but I need that love to change every part of me. So what I need to do is ask you, God, to show me the places where in in this family of humanity, we have dysfunction because we have bought lies that we shouldn't buy. Show me where I'm buying a lie that I shouldn't be buying right now. And then allow your gospel to change that and then heal me. And that's what we're going to do. So like next week, we're dealing with greed instead of gratitude. We're supposed to be a grateful people, but greed has affected us. And we're going to explore to what degree does greed affect the way we think and the way we see God and see each other and see the world. And then we're going to say, and what would it look like if gratitude was the general posture of our heart? And then we're going to say, the reason we do this is because we come to the table to ask God to change us. And there will be times throughout this series where we probably take communion together. And some of us have experienced, we're raised in a place where you did communion every Sunday and you're like, I've been to those churches and it wasn't healing or peaceful for me because it was just monotony, you know? That's a whole other problem, okay? That's a whole other problem we could deal with, but we're not dealing with today. But what we're doing in this thing is remembering that the reason that we come to the table, the reason we come to the table is because we need God to transform us. There is a, there's two structures. One is when a church is set up like this with the pulpit. There's another where the pulpit usually is over there, but it's set up to one side, and that's called a split chancel. And the way a church is designed is there is to show us theologically what we believe is the center. I could uh, preach all day long here and be like one of those preachers that, uh, that uh, I got stressed out when I was listening to because as much as uh, we bring the word of God, we can't convince one another whether it's, um, whether it's the, uh, the teaching or whether it's an inspiring worship set. Um, we, we can't change ourselves and we can't change one another. We need... God, your gospel to change us. And so we thank you for your body broken. We thank you for your bloodshed. We thank you that that's where the power is. I ask that you would take us on the journey as a church together, learning how to uh, lean more and more into your gospel. God bless. Be with the Sunday school hour now and uh, bless the teachers as they educate in the word of God. And uh, we ask that you would also bless in the second service as well and that you would bless us as a church family to learn to know you and lean more into you. In the name of Jesus, amen.